the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best But you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons And the tides of the sea But here's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Oh, shut up, you tart. Stroof, and welcome to a new episode of Only Goats and Horses with Bread Roll and JT. Stroof indeed, everyone. And uh, yeah, hello. So this week we are looking at Series 5, Episode 2. And this one's called The Miracle of Peckham. And this one aired on the 7th of September, 1986. And it's pushed back up, Bread Roll. This one had 14.2 million viewers. So we've gone back up to the 14 million mark again after last week's drop off a little bit. So maybe people liked last week's episode and it's um, it's picked up again. Yeah, that's good to see. Because like we say, um, last week's episode is, is great. And it's uh, one where Albert really sort of started to come into his own a little bit more. So, yeah, maybe because um, the last series was a little bit hit and miss, obviously, with the way it was structured, it took a while for people to warm back up to it. But it's good to see the numbers come back in again. This particular episode, uh, Miracle of Peckham, um, is a bit of a strange one, really, because I always remember it as one that I don't like watching very often. And the reason being is because back in the day, before like Gold had it in, you know, TV is what it is now, and we only had like four or five channels to choose from. This used to be an episode that was just always on TV. Whenever Any Fools was on, they'd play this one. And it used to annoy me because I just felt like I'd watched it like so many times because uh, it was the only one that was ever on. It's really overplayed. So I don't actually go out of my way to watch this one that often. But um did quite enjoy sitting and watching it today. Yeah, strange you say that, actually, because um, this is one that Gold seems to play a lot as well. So I don't know if it is one of the... Um, I mean, we, we obviously did our own top 10 a while back. Shameless plug again. We like to do these. Um, and it wasn't, obviously, in our top 10. Um, but, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's not a high-rated episode with the fans of Only Fools. If, if you are a fan out there, then let me know. Maybe it is. But this seems to be on Gold a hell of a lot. It's one of the most popular episodes on there. And... I would say it's not one of my favourites, but again, like you just said, I did quite enjoy watching it again earlier. There are some quite good one-liners in this, and it's it's quite a subtle episode in a way, and quite well written, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we get some classic bits, like Albert really comes into his own in this one. He's not in it loads, he's kind of in it like, there's like a little bit of a story thing with him and Rodney, isn't it? Like they just at each other's throats all the way through this one, but this episode tends to follow, pretty much follows Dell quite a lot, isn't it? Like He's probably about 70% of the focus of this particular episode. Yeah, it is. And um, it, it sort of shows a few things about Dale as well in this. Obviously, we, we learn a little bit later on that he's scared of God. I think it's in um, Miami twice when he really thought my uh, iPad has just died. So I'm just going to flick over to my uh, MacBook. Shameless Apple plug there to read my notes. Um, yeah, my yeah, Apple pro- um, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's... Um, in uh, Miami Twice, he says about the only things he's scared of, and one of them is gods. And obviously in this, he's very wary when he's in the church at first. When he meets the vicar, he's all really submissive to the vicar, isn't he? You can see he's really uneasy. Um, and that, that's sort of something that, that sort of Dell, like I say, it comes back to play in that uh, Miami Twice episode. And then um, we, sort of, we see the, the sort of humane side of him as well. He screws the corporate people out of money to help sort of people closer to him. And that's sort of... Dell was shown his heart of gold, although sometimes he's a bit 
sort of um, wrong the way he does things, he, he does mean well, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, we've said that before. I mean, like, though, his heart is in the right place. I mean, he, he you know, uses some suspect methods once in a while and stuff. But um, obviously, he's got to look after himself and his family. But yeah, we actually do see like that kind of caring side to him. Like I say, almost as a bit of a Robin Hood, doesn't he? Like, robs from the rich, gives to the poor, and like Boise is more like Robin Bastard. He'll just take what he can and fucking <laughs> line his own pockets. But um, yeah, it, it's good. We do get to see Dan. It's strange that they they don't overdo it, which is good because I think when you make things like biblical, unless you're being satirical. It can kind of like people get a bit funny about that sort of stuff because some people obviously value religion. Um, but they, like you say, when they do touch on this, it's usually quite light, but it's usually quite meaningful at the same time. But they don't do it enough to make it like, like Vicar and Dibley managed to do it pretty well, didn't it? You know, the way it kind of like played on that and it was all about the focus of the show and it worked. But here they don't bog down the scenario of like religion is something for Dell and it's focused on in every single episode. But when it is focused on, it is actually pretty well done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I do think like Dell is, is kind of scared of God because he doesn't really understand religion, does he? He doesn't really get it. So I think he's just a bit wary that, you know, he doesn't know what God's all about. I mean, I'm not going to slate religious people here, but who does know what God's all about? You know, if, if there was a God, then maybe these things in the world wouldn't be happening right now. But let's not go down that route. But yeah, it's like just Dell's naivety, isn't it? He's just scared of the unknown, I guess. Yeah, it's always that kind of what if factor. I'm sure everyone's kind of thought about it. And I mean, I'm not a godly person, as you know. Um, but, you know, it's all that kind of like, you know, what if or where did it all come from and that. So they do a pretty good uh, job of it. But then you saying like Dell doesn't understand religion. He doesn't understand much, to be fair to him, bless him, does he? <laughs> <laughs> he just understands how to make a bit of bunts. But again, he goes about it some very dodgy ways, as we've discussed over the last few weeks. Yeah. Just a few little tidbits before we do um, crack on with the synopsis. Um, so the um, American reporter in this, towards the end of the episode, um, who interviews Dell, the woman who played her is called Carol Cleveland, and um, she actually played a character called Brooke Huberman in Toast of London, which obviously um, uh, Simon, uh, Simon Berry, isn't it? Or whatever it is, Simon Berry. Uh, Matt Berry. Matt Berry. I thought it was Simon Berry. Where the fuck did I get that from? Um, yeah, it's, um, she, she's in that Toast of London. So, I mean, what was that, 30 years ago? And she's, um, she's still going on now. So, yeah, fair play to that. I do vaguely remember the, um, the name Brooke Huberman. I can't remember the character. I don't know if you remember it. No, I haven't. It's been a while since I've watched that. But it's a good show for anyone out there who hasn't seen it. Matt Berry so plays Matt Berry all the time, but he does it perfectly in this show. He does. Simon Berry, as I've just called him. I don't know where the fuck I've got that from. I think that was the guy who did the EastEnders theme tune, wasn't it? Wasn't that the guy who um who played some of the EastEnders? Anyway, we digress. And also, um, there's a couple of little bits here I've got from the Only Fools um, wiki pa- uh, fan page. So the idea for this script goes back um, about five years earlier to the second time around, where um, Grandad tells Rodney about how uh, Dale used to donate to the church and the um, the church roof fund. So that kind of went full circle, and then uh, that's why John Sullivan wrote this episode, apparently. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that line as well, and I think I have thought that before. I thought, oh, that kind of links up somehow, maybe. Um, but I've never actually sort of stopped and thought about it, but that's, that's pretty good, actually. Good old John Sullivan. He, he's good at like, just using a random reference and making a good story out of things, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He, I mean, obviously, we're going to talk about Raquel, obviously, a bit later on and stuff, and she, she'll make an appearance fairly soon, and then she comes back again, and he does like to bring things full circle, doesn't he? He's very good at that. Yeah, yeah, he is really good. And that's, again, like the whole thing of, like, you get these episodes of Only Fools, and they do kind of, some of them are just standalone events, and they don't really get referenced, but there are some really 
clever, subtle things that do, like you say, come full circle is a good term for it. Um, or they do get referenced later on. And the way it's done is always really, really clever. Yeah, just one little uh, last one before we move on. Um, in the opening scene, which we'll go through in a second, um, the bit where um, Rodney sprinkles Dale's aftershave on Albert's kipper, apparently that was done without Buster Merrifield being told. So when he actually reacts to it, it's, it's genuine. He did not know there was brute or aftershave. I don't know if it was actually brute. It was in a brute bottle, so we're assuming it was. Um, he didn't actually know there was um, aftershave on his uh, on his kipper, so his reaction is actually genuine. And apparently, he was really pissed off by it as well. That's amazing because I was watching this earlier, and I've, I've noticed a few times. But his reaction is so fucking good when he does it. The way he's like, and his like face is <laughs> like bright red. It looks like a little fucking garden gnome or something like that. But yeah, his reaction is brilliant to this. Well, now we know why because he didn't actually know it was on there. <laughs> Right, so should we have a look at the old uh, synopsis in Red Roll? And this was pulled off the Only Fools uh, fan wiki. And I did look at the, the uh, normal wiki page as well, and it's pretty much the same thing. It's not very, um, very long, this one. So we're going to have to flesh out ourselves. So be prepared, people. So let's have a look at how this one uh, starts. And before I do uh, start, obviously, as always, big shout out to Mr. Dan Parkinson for doing the intro theme tune to uh, this podcast. Cheers, Dan. Always appreciated. So let's have a look at this one in Red Roll. So, while Rodney worries about a muscular man named Biffo is going to do to him after a drunken Rodney stole his trumpet, doesn't make sense, but there we go, which Uncle Albert has subsequently thrown down the rubbish chute, Delboy goes to church to seek forgiveness for some stolen goods he has recently purchased, though he doesn't say what they are. I mean, that is the intro on Wiki. I mean, it's pretty fucking vague, isn't it? Because quite a lot actually happens in this opening scene. Yeah, and Rodney saw a drunken Rodney. That's really good, so... Oh, yeah, that's probably me reading it being a drunken uh, JT, to be honest. But um, <laughs> yeah, basically, Rodney's um, he's hungover and he's stolen a trumpet from someone called Biffo, who he um, was at the Nags Head last night. And I do like the way um, Nick Linders plays this because he doesn't genuinely hung over in this scene, I think. He does. And it's the first of many. I don't know. We might have had one on two before, but like later on when I'm obviously with these issues with Cassandra and stuff, there's quite a few episodes that open up with him just being hungover or drunk or something like that. And he does play it really well, but like you say, he just looks like scraggy as fuck. He's got a really random red shirt on as well at this point, which I think is the only time we see this shirt. It's like some random, I assume it's the one he was wearing the, the night prior, because obviously he's hungover and stuff. He probably didn't get changed or dressed or anything. But this is really weird, red, almost like, I don't know what type of shirt it is. It looks like it's like half disco, half kind of like Ponzi London. I don't know what it's supposed to be. Probably one of Dell's. <laughs> yeah, it's quite random, isn't it? Dell's wouldn't fit in, would it? It'd be a bit tight on That's Rodney, true. I think. <laughs> Although Rodney's obviously wiry, but he's a lot taller than Dell. There's, there's a couple of random bits from Albert in this opening scene. I mean, he's really good in this opening scene, but he's like, always fast to kip. It always makes me laugh when he says that. It's like, what does fucking fast to kip mean? Obviously, it means he was asleep, but it's just a random statement. And then Rodney apologises to him for blowing a trumpet down his ears. I'm sorry, all right? And then Albert goes, well, you could apologise, couldn't you? It's like, he just has fucking apologised. And then Rodney says, oh, I'm sorry, again. It's like, pretty sure he just said that to you, but there we go. I wonder if that was like a fluff with like getting the lines and everything right. They were going for timing and not actually paying attention to what was being said or if it was supposed to be like that. It's quite an interesting one. Yeah, I picked up on that because like he says, I'm really sorry. And he's like, oh, you could apologise. Maybe he's just being like one of those like annoying old people just kind of fucking laying it on thick. 
Yeah, I've just always noticed that. The fact he says, I'm really sorry. Well, you could apologise. Well, I'm pretty sure he just did. But there we go. And then, obviously, they keep going about this bloody trumpet. Dale comes in, and he starts going about the trumpet again. And Rodney must have been properly out of it if he doesn't even remember going up on stage nicking Biffo's trumpet. I mean, you know you're wasted and you can't remember things like that. Because, you know, you think that would stick out in your mind a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've had some wasted nights, you know, for... <laughs> Ashamed to admit, sort of, but I've never done anything like steal a trumpet and then forget about it. Or maybe I have, and I just completely forgot, you know, there's a trumpet somewhere <laughs> around me that I'm responsible for. I'm not too sure about that, but yeah, you'd have I was to gonna say. for that, wouldn't you? <laughs> you better check your cuppers in that bread while you might find some uh, sort of hidden trumpet <laughs> somewhere. Who knows? Oh, we had but, a yeah, saxophone. Did. I like a saxophone, so. <laughs> <laughs> We've always had things about saxophones, haven't we? But that's another story. Uh, and then uh, Rodney's obviously going on about the girl he met last night and everything and um, Dell comes in and completely winds him up about her but it's another one that is sort of Rodney's conquest is such, I don't want to use that word but you know what I mean and um, we never see her but um, you know Rodney he does sort of he gets these women but he never really gets anywhere with them does he until he obviously meets Cassandra he's, um, he's a bit of a loser really when it comes to romance yeah, um, he makes a comment as well when he's like, oh, she's a bit older than me, but I like that sort of thing. And that just kind of made me think back to old Irene a few series mm. ago. Because, um, again, like he, he's again, he's not really that bothered, is he? I think Rodney, bless him, he's like he's happy as long as a woman shows a bit of interest in him, really. Seems to be, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, and when Dell comes in, he's, he's properly well-dressed. Obviously, he's going off to church, but he's got his suit on there, and he's slapping his brute on, which obviously then Rodney pours on the kipper, which he's talked about. But... Um, yeah, I mean, Dell's Dell's looking proper dapper, isn't he? I've got it here, Rod. Yeah, he's actually wearing like a really good suit. Do you know what? So he like gets the brute out and he like obviously puts it on his chin, then he puts it on his jacket, and then he wipes it through his hair. It's like, where do you want the fucking brute? It's not fucking <laughs> that hair cream or anything, is it? Just like brute all over the place. That's <laughs> probably just think of it, like because he he does lay it on thick, doesn't he? And then Albert says, oh, yeah, Dale came in from the pub last night and he had a couple of pina coladas. So, I mean, I don't know how much he'd been drinking down the nag's head, but we know he has his um, variety cocktails down there. But Dale never really seems to have a hangover, does he? And as you touched on earlier, Rodney has loads. Like, it's pretty much the first of many. But Dale never really seems to be bothered by alcohol, does he? It doesn't really seem to affect him. Well, no, considering like we've seen him like doing the whole thing, like drinking all the time, he still manages to somehow drive home and everything. But yeah, he seems to have like an iron stomach. Fair play to the man. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, he um, gets his uh, irritable bowel syndrome a little bit later on in series uh, six, isn't it, or seven? We'll get to that. But yeah, he just he just never seems to be that bothered by alcohol. Maybe, like you say, he's immune to it now because like he just drinks all the time. I mean, we've seen him drinking brandy and whiskey first thing in the morning, so I guess it's just a staple diet to Dell. Yeah, it must be, wouldn't it? There's one thing here as well, which um, wasn't massively common back then. I think we do get a few bits in the later series, but I haven't really noticed it in the like the earlier ones that we've obviously already been through. There's some pretty blatant product placement. Product placement can't bloody speak here because like Albert brings in the stuff for breakfast and they purposely put like HP sauce and Daddy's sauce facing the camera, and the camera kind of zooms in but kind of holds on it and then comes out again. Um, and then obviously product placement's a massive thing these days. Like most shows have fucking everything. You know, it's always a product placement when everyone in the, you know, show happens to have like an LG TV or everyone seems to drive a fucking Audi just randomly for product placement. But it's just something I hadn't really noticed in the show up until now. Do you know what? I've never noticed that bread roll. And that's a good chat as well. So there's HP and Daddy's. Because obviously BBC's not allowed to advertise, although we know it subtly does. But officially, obviously, it's not allowed to. So that's a really good shout. I've never noticed that before. 
Obviously, if yeah. they've got HP and Daddy's next to each other, then they're not advertising one brand. So they've done that a bit sneakily. Yeah, any good shout there. Yeah, it's Daddy's Red and obviously HP Brown. And obviously they're mentioning Brute as well, which is actually a brand of um, yeah. cologne, isn't it? Although I don't think you actually ever see the bottle. You see the bottle, but you don't actually see the label or anything like that. Maybe it's just like reference to something. And there is a bit later on where um, they mentioned Channel 4. Oh, no, not Channel 4. Mm. So obviously that's been like heavy competition back then, but um, I just love the way they kind of disregard it. Yeah, yeah, that is quite good. I've got that in my notes a bit later on. And just before we move on, when um, Rodney does go down the chute to get the um, the trumpet back, that is fucking grim, isn't it? And then Albert chucks his stuff down there. Although he says, oh, it was a kipper, but I don't actually see a kipper going down there. It looks more like bread and fucking, I don't know, baked beans or something that hits him on the head, but it's bloody disgusting, whatever it is. It looks fucking horrible, doesn't it? And that old school kind of, I know it's obviously the way it was back then. I, I don't know what they do in, I've never lived in a tower block, so I don't know if there's, there's still like rubbish shoots or anything. It's not really hygienic, but then how are you going to carry your rubbish down from like fucking 40 floors up? I don't know how it's done, but back then it's just a big fucking wooden fucking barrel, isn't it? It just has all kinds of shit coming down. That must have been fucking horrible. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've lived in a block with about 40 odd flats and I can't remember what we used to do. I've rubbish now. It wasn't even that long ago. I think we just had communal, yeah, we had communal bins. You just have to bring the rubbish bags down and chuck them in communal bins. It wasn't a shoot or anything. But yeah, obviously this is the 80s and things were a bit different back then. But yeah, that is fucking grim. So let's have a look at how it uh, carries on then, Bredwell, when we uh, get to the old church. So the parish priest, Father O'Keefe, explains to Dell how the local hospice is facing closure. Whilst there, the two are witnesses to a miracle. A statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary on the altar appears to be weeping. Dell instantly senses an opportunity to make money and save the hospice and tells Rodney to alert the media. Within days, reporters and cameramen from all over the world are in Peckham to cover the story. Dell presents himself as a modern-day prophet, predicting when the statue will weep again. So again, it's a really short little synopsis to a, a fair bit that happens here. And like I said earlier, Dell was really fucking uneasy when he first walks into the, the church. He's sort of bowing down and everything, and he just totally fucking just not right is he when he's in there it's just not Dell no although one thing he's got the fucking cigar on the go hasn't he smoking in church <laughs> and everything that's what cracked me up he walks in like you say he's all like timid he does the world's fucking shittest attempt at doing like the whole fucking crossing himself like father son holy spirit <laughs> now whatever the fuck he's doing looks like he's doing some really crap sign language but he's had his fucking cigar on the go and then when he gets in the confession booth the father opens the fucking flap and he just blows a load of smoke in his face that was fucking brilliant. Yeah, he's good. Now, I do like the fact that Del says, I've come to confess my sins. And the priest goes, please, I've been invited out to dinner this evening. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> and um, obviously the priest knows Del. I mean, everyone knows Del, don't they? But he's like, oh, my God. Like, I bet he's like, his ass dropped a bit when Del got into the confession booth. He was like, for fuck's sake. Yeah, and then he's like, oh, I just want to confess my main sin, really. And then he's like, oh, all right, then I'll let you off this time. But yeah, it is good that he's got that reputation. But then I love the fact that he's like, hang on, do you go to this church? Are you even a Catholic? And he's like, when have you actually been to this church? He's like, oh, I went when my mum and dad got married, which gets a few laughs, because obviously back then, obviously, marriage out of wedlock was still kind of frowned upon a bit, wasn't it? Back in those, well, it would have been earlier than that. It would have been the 60s, I suppose, when uh, Reg and what's her name got married. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, Dale says, like, we've had it before, and he says, I was just a babe in arms and my mum and dad got married, which got a laugh in a previous episode. So, yeah, it was um, sort of frowned upon a bit back then. Dale has no idea if he's a Catholic or not. And obviously, like you say, his 
bad sort of attempt at crossing himself probably proves that he isn't. And then we find out he, he's bought the stuff off um, Sunglasses Ron and Paddock the Greek, two characters that get mentioned a few times, but again, we never see them. Yeah, yeah, I did pick up on that. Um, I do like the name Sunglasses Ron. I think it's a good little kind of like London gangster name. It's just a good one. I and mean, they're all good, aren't they? Paddy the Greek and all that sort of stuff. Alfie Flowers and stuff. Um, but yeah, Sunglasses Ron I, just gives me a giggle. I think it's good. Yeah, it's a great name, isn't it? Isn't Paddy the Greek also in um, Snatch or Lockstock? Is, is it one oh, of the characters called Paddy the Greek? Or is it that's Nick the no, Greek? It's isn't it? Nick the Greek, yeah. yeah. I wonder if that was a, like a, a throwback. Obviously, I'm not saying someone called the Greek is like, you know, original, but I wonder if it was a bit of a throwback to this. Can you imagine Guy Ritchie would have been an only Fools fan being from that neck of the woods? Well, yeah, and considering Lockstock, um, obviously it was all about like Cockneys and dodgy dealings and everything. Yeah, maybe it was a little reference, but I know like the Greek is kind of a common gangster term, yeah. but yeah, be interesting to know, wouldn't it? It would. And then Dell says here, and I, I picked up on this earlier, I've never really noticed it before, that um, the, the priest um, St. Mary's and he said oh they looked after my mum and granddad um, but you never really see that with granddad do you obviously we, we found out he was in hospital and then he, he passed away we never found out about him being in a home or anything did we so I'm not really sure where that came from that little bit I don't know if you picked up on that yeah I did and the only thing I could think of is obviously um, obviously Leonard Pierce his illness got you know got to him a bit too quick so they didn't really have much time to sort of plan anything did they like they had that episode at the start of um previous series where like we don't see him and so when you've got like um uh joan and that comes back and not joan um what's her name reenie isn't it or whatever it is who lives mm. across and rodney's dating the younger girl and stuff and then obviously we find out that obviously he's passed away so i suppose we didn't really have a lot of time to really flesh that out maybe it was a plan in there and then he just never got to write it into a script or anything but it is interesting that you mentioned granddad because otherwise you just think well he was in hospital and maybe just passed away in hospital we didn't have time to go into a home to be looked after yeah, just something I've, I've never really picked up on before. But I was thinking earlier, we, you know, like I say, we never really saw that at all. <laughs> I do like the line when um, Dell goes to the, uh, he's, he's um, putting the money into the, uh, the whatever it is, the, oh, I can't think, think what you call it. I don't go to the donation box or whatever it is. Isn't yeah, it? that's the one. Yeah, I couldn't even think of that. He's putting the money in, and then the vicar calls him. He's like, I'm putting it in, I'm putting it in. I do yeah. like that line. It's quite funny. <laughs> That is good, yeah. He sort of runs along, and then like the whole, we see like the uh, the miracle bit of the uh, the statue crying, as it were. I've got a massive issue with this whole thing about what happens next. Um, obviously, we'll discuss it when we get to the end. You might have even picked up on it as well, but they just automatically take it for a fucking miracle, don't they? Just out of the, you know, oh, just there couldn't possibly be anything else. But they're just like, oh, it's a miracle, and it's like, well, I'd have checked a few things first, are you? <laughs> Yeah, it's very far-fetched, isn't it? Even for any fools. I mean, we don't normally get this sort of far-fetched stuff. Most of it is fairly believable. Obviously, we've picked up on a few little flaws and plot holes, but this one's probably pushing it a little bit too far. Um, I do like the fact that Dale says he can get um, Samantha Fox to open the place when it reopens. Obviously, Samantha Fox being a big pace free girl around that sort of time. I do remember that when I was uh, getting to my early, uh, sort of, I wasn't quite a teenager when this came out. I was getting to that stage where, you know, I was starting to notice women in the, the sun, page three, you know, back in the day. That was a, that was quite a thing for people my age. You've probably a bit before your time, Pedro, obviously. Oh, I remember page three. I mean, I've, I've heard of it. <clears throat> um, but, you know, I do remember remember those sorts of things. I don't remember her uh, particularly. But one thing I did think of when he's like, oh, we should, you know, we need to get a team to sort of fix up the hospital and that. For some reason, Annika Rice jumped into my head. Do you remember Challenge Annika? <laughs> of course, Scott. 
like fucking bits and pieces. For some reason, that just jumped straight into my head. Oh, Challenge Annika. Yeah, what a show that was. And then there's one bit here. I said this episode's on uh, gold quite a lot, and it is. There's um there's one bit they really mess up when they have it on there. So the vicar says to Dell, oh, I couldn't exploit this. And Dell's like, no, you couldn't, Father, but I'm shit hot at it. Now, that bit, obviously, for reasons, the fact that Dell swore, is always cut out on gold. No matter what time this episode goes out, they always seem to cut that line out. There's not sort of a uh, sort of post-watershed version of this by the looks of it. But the way they cut it out is really bad on gold. And I don't know if you've seen it on there. The vicar literally says, I could exploit this. And Dell starts talking and it just fades into adverts. And it just doesn't work. It's one of the worst cuts I've ever seen. They have got some, re- we've mentioned a few Amy before um, in other episodes mm. now, but yeah, they do really bad like cuts. It's not even like, they could have just like dubbed it out or something like, you know, just yeah. edit it or something like that. You know, take like a second, like a radio edit type thing where it just kind of like doesn't bleep. It just goes silent for like the split of a second for that word. And that would just work fine. She'd be like, oh, he's obviously sworn or something. And that still makes the joke make sense. Um, but yeah, it's, th- their cuts are fucking rubbish. Yeah, well, just cut the whole line out in general. Just start the adverts 30 seconds before or 10 seconds before so you don't even have that line. It just doesn't work, and it really annoys me because, we again, we've said it before, if people were watching this episode for the first time, and they'd be like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. But there we go. And then, obviously, you touched on it earlier. It is quite funny when Dell phones Rodney, and um, he's obviously saying phone the press and everything and get everyone involved. And the first thing, obviously, you don't hear Dell say it, but Rodney sort of, says, oh, it sort of implies that Dell's seen a miracle. And the first thing is, like, oh, what, did Boise buy a round? <laughs> Funny. That's a fucking great line. I tell you what, I don't know why it made me laugh. I've obviously seen it before. But obviously, Albert's, um, he's sat in, like, his chair when it cuts back to the flat and he's, like, watching, I don't know, the fucking horses. Or he's doing something, like, watching the a race on his... And, scoring it on the paper and Rodney comes out of like the back door and he's like waving the, tr- the back door of the flat you know from the bedrooms and he's waving a trumpet around goes look at this it's broken then he steps out from behind the chair and he's wearing a dressing gown but it's like a fucking mini skirt like it's just a normal <laughs> blue dressing gown and then it literally stops about his fucking mid-fire I, like, I know he's lanky and it's probably a fucking kid's dressing gown knowing what Dell bought for him but I'm just like fucking hell he's like one of those kind of like geisha type women that you see in those sort of like Asian kung fu movies he looks fucking ridiculous do you know what? I've never noticed that. I need to go back and rewatch this now. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously Dale was like telling Rodney to round up the press and everything. <laughs> says about Reuters, the Peckham Echo. And then, and then he's like BBC, ITV. And then like you said, what about Channel 4? Oh, no, no, not Channel 4. So I imagine Channel 4 was just about starting around this time. So it was in its infancy. I mean, it's always been the sort of, left field sketchy channel hasn't it even now it's got some dodgy shit on there not quite as bad as it used to be back then because things have changed a bit but it's always been a sort of of left field sort of channel hasn't it channel four yeah it has been um i say it did sort of go well the only time it started to really kind of pick up and look good is when they launched channel five which had the dregs of the like the shittest low budget crap yeah not even like sky one would have back in the day or anything like that i mean i don't really watch live tv anymore i don't have a tv license um so i just watch streaming and stuff but yeah channel four has always been known to be a little bit rinky dink um but channel five is even worse but yeah like you said i suppose back then it was just launching so it's probably had fuck all and it picked up any of its own shows yet had it probably not no and then we obviously flick back to the church now and dale's there and he's got all the press and that where did he get those bloody contracts from he's got like paperwork and everything drawn up and you kind of see some headed paper you don't really see it close up but he's waving them around and everything where the fuck did he get all that drawn up from because obviously alan 
print some stuff for him a lot long sort of later down the line. But at the moment, where would they all put all that done? I, I just don't really sort of know where that would have happened. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was like, well, that's really professional for Dell because if he'd have wrote it, I mean, Christ knows what the spelling would have been like. Um, <laughs> no one would have been able to understand it or anything. And actually, and this is where, again, it really emphasises the fact, because Albert takes a crack, doesn't he? Like when him and Rodney turn up, he's like, oh, you're going to skim a bit off. And he's like, oi, I'm going to do this. You know, this is for the church, all that stuff, like really hardcore, like saying he's not taking any money for himself or anything. And it's like... um. So he's doing this, it's all got to be quite binding in that. And like, where would he have actually even come up with like the actual right language to have a binding legal contract with these people to come and take pictures in a public church? It's just, again, it's a bit far-fetched. And like you say, it just makes no sense that they would be able to even make a contract like that, let alone execute it properly. No, exactly. I mean, you're supposed to brush over that. And I've never really thought about it before until I was watching this earlier. And then just before we move on, you touched on him at the start of our intro. <laughs> the Aussie broadcaster who comes in is so fucking fake, isn't he? I mean, if he is Australian, then apologies. Well, well it's got to be about as Australian as the guy who plays Jumbo a bit later on, isn't he? But he comes in, he's like, <laughs> G'day, mate, I come to take your picture. Stroof. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's fucking dread. Apologies again to any Australians out there. I'm not insulting you guys. That's fucking what this guy sounds like. He's almost as bad as a guy for the longest night for a fucking accent. Yeah, he's pretty bad. He's a bit Billy Butcher, isn't he? And then, yeah. obviously, we get Dell doing the collections. He's like, no coins, and it scratches the pewter. So, again, it's Dell sort of showing his good side, and he wants notes in there, although, obviously, he gets a sort of comedic line out of it. But, obviously, he's collecting for the church, so he's doing his good thing again. Yeah, that's good. And that's another bit I've noticed. I've noticed weird things in the background in this one a little bit. But this one, I don't know if you picked up on it, but um, if you haven't, when... Next time you watch it, I'll go back and just watch this bit because I swear this is it fucking it's what it looks like. When it cuts to the church, you kind of see like it goes along the um the pews, I think they're called, where like the reporters are sat waiting for the miracle to happen. In the background, there's a guy wearing like an orange like shirt or jacket with like a white I assume it's a body warmer. He looks like a fucking X-Wing pilot. Like, literally spot on <laughs> out of Star Wars. I was like, what the fuck's Luke Skywalker doing there? He literally looks identical to a bloody Star Wars pilot. Go back and have a look, I swear. <laughs> oh, I've got to go and see that. I've never noticed that, and I've seen this episode countless times. That's definitely something I'm going to go back and look on. Okay, so let's have a look at um the sort of, I'll say the last bit. It's not actually the last bit, but we'll have a look how it sort of uh, continues. So a few weeks later, I'm not really sure of the time scale, but it says a few weeks later, so we'll go with that. After several more miracles, enough money is raised to save the local hospice. It then suddenly dawns on Father O'Keefe that the miracles always occur when it is raining. Upon inspecting the church roof, he finds out that all the lead tiles are missing. Only then does it emerge that those lead tiles were the stolen goods Dell had uh, come to confess over. But he points out that the money raised from the resulting miracle, in inverted commas, did save the local hospice. Father O'Keefe, much to Dell's surprise, merely blesses him for doing it. So it says that after a few weeks or a few weeks later, I'm not really sure of the timescale on this. It doesn't really give you a timescale, does it? It almost appears that it happens during the same day, but I guess it doesn't because Father O'Keefe is saying, you know, nothing's happened yet. And Dell says, oh, I think there's a miracle coming. But a few weeks does sound a little bit sort of far-fetched to me. I don't know about yourself. Yeah, I was thinking this because one of the issues I've got with the whole miracle of Peckham thing and why no one figured out it wasn't real in the first place. Because swear at the start, the father's like, oh, yeah, to fix the hospital, we need like 185 grand or something like that. Mm, yeah. um, so that would take a while to 
you know, I don't know what his fucking contract says, how much they're going to do it, but obviously doing that and raising the money with the collections, it must have taken a couple of weeks. And another thing as well is like, you get the old fucking fake Aussie turning up, and then you get the American, like the New York press. I mean, I assume from the way the show's acting, they've, I think the Australian guy says like they've just come all the way over from like Brisbane or something like that. So, to, you know, like nowadays, like everything's digital, you'd know straight away. But back then, by the time that had actually happened, local newspapers had picked it up, real newspapers had picked it up. Then it went worldwide, and then someone would send a crew over. That would take the best part of a week or two, wouldn't it, back then? Because now, obviously, everything's instant. It's all digital. You could film something anywhere in the world, and it would be on the hourly news. But back then, it would have taken ages for that to reach, like, around the world, the news of it. That's a good shout, actually, Fred Roll. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Yeah, like say, you've got the um, Australian press, the New York press, and yeah, it would have taken them, you know, even if they found out about it straight away, which they wouldn't have done, it would still take them a day or so to get there. So yeah, maybe it, maybe a couple of weeks is, is actually right. It just, it doesn't really sort of show the timescale, does it? You see Albert and Rodney there, and then the next thing, the miracle's happening, and yeah, you don't really get the, the sort of scale of, of time that's gone on. But when... Um, Old Father O'Keefe realises what's going on. He pulls some kind of demonic face, doesn't he? I know he's a vicar, but he looks like he's about to turn into the devil. He's like, and he runs off upstairs. He goes fucking mental. Yeah, he looks like some out of the fucking Wicker Man or something, doesn't he? Like some kind he of does. like, almost like poltergeist style thing. But I do love a line that he comes out with because he fucking drags Dell upstairs. He's like, this is not a miracle. It's a flaming leak. And the way he fucking does yeah. that line is awesome. <laughs> he is good, isn't it? But, I'm sure this is what you've picked up when you said you've got an issue with this. There's no way that no one would have noticed the fact that the water was dripping down the ceiling onto that fucking light and onto the statue. You know, you've got camera crews and people there. Someone would have gone, hold on a minute. This miracle is coming from the roof, not actually out of the statue itself. Exactly, because, you know, anything, especially nowadays, because everyone knows how much people blag about it, even back then, you'd need something authenticated, wouldn't you? And if it was really that big of a thing, you'd probably have like, and it's a Catholic church, you'd have probably had the fucking Pope himself turning up, wouldn't you, or something at some point. But yeah, people would have been like, hang on, if you're charging me all this money to take a picture, we want to be satisfied that, you know, this isn't, you know, Mickey Mouse or anything like that. And like you say, all they'd have to do is like, basically go around the corner like the priest did and see like loads of water pissing down the wall. Because that's how they figure it out. And it's yeah. like every time Dell prophesies something, he brings the weather with him. And then it's all like the penny drops. And it's like, well, surely everyone else would have clocked the fact that every time it rains, this fucking miracle happens. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even for any fools, it's a little bit too far-fetched. I do like the fact that when um, when Rodney and Dell been well, Dell's been interviewed by the American old uh, Brooke Hooverman from uh, Toast of London, and then when uh, the vicar grabs Dell, Rodney's like, sorry, viewers, the Lord's work calls. <laughs> it's just fucking so dopey. <laughs> Typical Rodney. And... I love the way as well, when he's like, oh, it'll be uh, an interview, or they're like, oh, it'll be an interview for our, like, fans in the States and Dale's obviously all done up like a fucking gangster. He's got like his aviators on and his like camel air jacket and his suit. And Rodney's there with his like Parker covering his face and like pulls <laughs> it back. He looks like fucking Kenny from South Park or something. So he just pulls it back and pulls his big dopey face like, hello. <laughs> yeah, he does. And then when they go upstairs and the vicar pulls them both upstairs and the first thing Rodney says when he realises, like, bloody hell. Oh, sorry. To the vicar. And then when the vicar says, oh, obviously about the, the lead being stolen, Rodney's like, oh, that's all right. We got loads of lead in the garage. And then it's like, oh, he realises what he said. It's a bit like um, the gin, isn't it? And the long legs of the law. When he says, oh, we got shitloads of gin around the corner. It's like typical Rodney just not thinking before he opens his mouth. Yeah. Oh, Dell, I know he never gets fucking caught or really anything happens to him anyway. That's obviously the, the kind of funny thing about it. But um, 
he kind of gets let off lightly here, doesn't he? Because he's like, oh, this is the stuff that you brought off, you know, Paddy the Greek and sunglasses, Ron, that you were going to confess about, but you didn't tell me. And then, like, there was like, oh, well, you know, I wanted to get you the money for the church or that stuff. And then the father's like, oh, you did all this just to raise money. God bless you or something like that. And then he's walked off. So he kind of gets away with it this time, doesn't he? Like, actually with a bit of approval as well. He absolutely does, because um, stealing lead from a church roof is uh, quite, a, quite a bad crime. You can get uh, a bit of time for that these days. It's certainly frowned upon. He's, he's really reluctant. Again, it goes um, back to the sort of the start where Dale was really uneasy with the church. When the vicar says to him, look me in the eye, Dale just won't really. He just looks at the ground and everything. He's really not fucking interested, whereas normally Dale was quite bullshy, but you can tell he's still like, really sketchy around the vicar and just God in general. Yeah, he's like a little scolded little child, isn't he, pretty much? And even Rodney's just stood there looking dopey, like, why is Dale not, like, you know, kind of, you know, talking shit and talking his way out of it, like usual? Yeah. yeah. I will say as well, the vicar's got a really good emo fringe going on, hasn't he? For, like, an old guy, he's got the, <laughs> he's got the old uh, emo fringe there, so I mean, it's quite a good one. He must predate you as the original emo, JT, I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I, still, I still want to hold that torch for oh, I am the original emo. <laughs> I'm still having that. I'm, I'm the emo godfather, me. <laughs> so let's have a look at how this episode wraps up then. It's just one little last scene left. So as they exit the church, Dell and Rodney shake hands with the many of the reporters and cameramen until Rodney finds out that he's shaking the hand of Biffo, who demands to know where his trumpet is. Rodney tries talking his way out of it, but then runs away with Biffo giving chase. Dell senses an opportunity to make some money from this and offers the nearby reporters and cameramen a chance to film some genuine inner-city violence. Now, I don't really like the end of this. It's a bit weird. I, I quite like the fact that they're all shaking hands and everything, and Rodney ends up shaking Biffo's hand, and he's one fucking big guy, Biffo. He makes uh, Nick Lindhurst look like a little midget, doesn't he? Does looks like fucking giant haystacks or something, doesn't he? Big hairy he beard and all that sort of stuff. He's absolutely massive. But I know what you mean about the ending of this. I think they should have just ended it with Rodney because he's like, oh, what's that over there? And then he runs off. And then they could have just stopped it there, you know, like him running away from Biffo. The whole bit where Dale's like, oh, do you want to film some inner city violence and gets the camera crew? He's like, come on, get your get your cameras, get your wallets. And it's like it's not like Dale's gonna stand there and watch Rodney get his head kicked in, will he? Because we know he wouldn't ever do that. He'd sort of step in or do something. Yeah, I thought that. Like, it's obviously dull, as they say there, trying to make some money and everything, but he's not going to sit there and let, let Rodney get beaten up because we know that. He'll always stick up for Rodney. So it's a bit of a weird one. Obviously, we don't see what happens. Maybe Rodney does get a little bit of his pasting from Biffo. Don't know. But, yeah, it's just a bit strange. And also, none of that money would have actually been paid, would it? They'd have found out that he was lying. So the fact that he's apparently saved St Mary's or anything, that would have all been taken back. The money would have been written off. And they'd have been back to square one, and Dale would probably would have been arrested. Yeah, yeah, defrauding the clergy or something like that. Because I know it was either yeah. church they like to throw their toys out the pram quite often, don't they? Exactly. I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the end of um, the butterfly episode we we sort of looked at a few weeks back, where you know Dale was like, "Do you want to buy any Lowry doors and whatever?" And that's sort of how it ended. And this is sort of the same thing. Do you want to um, film some inner city violence? It's just. When I sort of open-ended endings, it doesn't really go down that well with me. And it's not a bad episode. I did enjoy it more than I thought I would earlier, but the ending is a bit bit lame, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good shout, actually, um, what you said there about like the butterfly episode. Maybe it was like, just um, John Sullivan experimenting, because it's got to be hard sometimes, isn't it? You know, if you've written a script and stuff, you're like, how do I actually wrap this up? Because it's, 
like we say, even modern day TV shows now, the amount of shows these days that people kind of like get into and then they have like a really shite ending to end it all. Like, mm. It's got to be hard ending something. I know this is obviously different, a 20 minute episode of a sitcom compared to like a big budget, long spanning like series or something. But it's always got to be tricky to wrap something up satisfactory, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we've said it a few times now. Some of the endings don't really work. Um, and I think they get better as it goes on. Certainly, we're going to obviously look at Series 6 shortly, but that sort of flows a bit more. But some of the standalone episodes do have some sort of quite strange and abrupt endings um, or open-ended ones like this. And sometimes they just don't. But overall, it's not actually a bad episode. And I did enjoy it, like I say, more than I thought I was going to. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, so when I looked at the back of the DVD case, I was like, oh, it's this one. And then put it on. And there are some funny <laughs> bits in this. And it's not a bad one. And chances are, if you've watched um, Only Falls on TV, you've probably seen this episode about a thousand times in the last week. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's not a bad one at all. Um, it's just one that I still think is quite overplayed. And like you say, it's got a bit of a funny ending. And the plot is a bit of a stretch, even by Only Falls standards. But yeah, not bad at all. Still fun to watch. Yeah, exactly. So I haven't really got much else to say about this one, Brother. I don't know about yourself. No, that's pretty much uh, me done with this one. Um, but all I will say is to our listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in and joining us as we go through the Only Fools and Horses saga. If you personally like this particular episode, The Miracle of Peckham, then let us know your thoughts by getting in touch at the Hyperbaric Goats on Twitter. And also just let us, let us know what you think of the show in general. You know, any thoughts on the way we do things or the way we present our show, then please let us know. And for me this week, I am signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. But what happens is, I get this strange feeling rising from the middle of my body. At first, I thought it was a dodgy mutton tikka. Then I realised I was a prophet. I'm afraid many are called, but few are chosen. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, with cut prices and a straw.